Troy Public Radio, this is In Focus, and I'm Carolyn Hutchison. Writer Jerry Ellis is a Pulitzer Prize nominee who grew up close to nature in the mountains of Northeast Alabama. We join Jerry Ellis in Fort Payne, where he talks about his heritage, his walk along the Cherokee Trail of Tears, and his Georgia journey following Sherman's march to the sea during the Civil War. Jerry Ellis, thank you so much for joining us for a second interview. Uh, it's a terrific joy to be back, and welcome to the valley between Lookout and Sun Mountain. Where your roots are. Yeah, my roots in this particular area go back to 1837. And my family came down from Sequatchie Valley, that's near Chattanooga, Tennessee, along the Tennessee River, and settled in here about 10 miles north of here, of Highway 11 and Sulphur Springs, by Sequoia Caverns, which is also called Ellis Cave, still in the family. And it was one year before the Cherokee Trail of Tears, and then the Ellis's started coming in here around 1842 from North Carolina. Jerry, we need to remind your listeners that you, a Pulitzer Prize nominee for your book, Walking the Trail, One Man's Journey Along the Cherokee Trail of Tears. It was a life-altering journey. I, out of an act of desperation, I felt I had to walk the Trail of Tears to do something that had meaning and purpose, not only for me, but for the Cherokee and hopefully for modern America. It wasn't a book deal. I sold almost everything I owned and took a bus to Tahlequah, Oklahoma and decided to walk the trail in reverse for a couple of reasons that are paramount in the book. And I camped out almost every night in meadows and woods and occasionally strangers would put me up to feed me and, and that was wonderful because frankly it was material for a book. What is a miracle like today along the Trail of Tears? Books sold instantly in New York, the, the typical story of the writer who struggles for years and has overnight success. And of the eight books I have published, it's the one that continues to glow the brightest. It was just published several months ago in its third language, Italian. That's fantastic. Talk to your listeners about your roots. What is that heritage you have? I have to go back to a story of my, my grandfather who walked here from Shady Valley, Tennessee, in the late 1800s, he walked here with an ox. And this is up near the Kuala boundary for uh, Cherokee Nation East. And for him to walk, that's approximately 300 miles, and settle out on Sand Mountain, he became very influential. He had 10 kids, my mother among them. And he was a ginseng hunter actually for money. He owned the last water-driven grist mill in this county, which is DeKalb County, and he also had a molasses mill, and remnants of that still exist today. He was an exceptionally loving man and creative man. He wrote poetry. He sang Sacred Harp, or Four Note, as they call it here, which was made very popular in the movie Cold Mountain. He had a way about him that was both tender and real, but also very mystical. I'll give you a quick example. I was out with him one day as a child. We heard some crows, and he says, here, son, call him with this crow collar. I'm going to give it to you. I says, but, Grandpa, if you give me that crow collar, you won't be able to call him. And he says, no, son, I have a collar right here in my fingers. And he raised up his fingers as if they were wings and flew to his mouth. 
when he touched his mouth with his bare hands, he sounded just like a crow, and the crows started to come in flying over us and landing in the treetops. So he had a magic about him. And that is what I feel at its best here in the mountains, the magic. Was he Cherokee from that reservation? No, he was not from the reservation. In fact, he did not have a lot of Cherokee blood. And he was also of African descent, but with DNA analysis and uh, documentation, a lot of vital information has come out in the last several years. And that's part of what I've discovered on his side, as well as his family being lone hunters. Lone hunters is someone who goes into the mountains for months at a time to gather pelts and meat, and then they bring it back to uh, wherever they want to sell it. His last name was Buckles, but Blevins is one of the bloodlines, and to a, a mission, a Christian mission, was 1750, where this, these long hunters of my family were selling their pelts and meat. They're documented of hunting with Daniel Boone, and uh, there's a sense of desire to roam and explore and always have that sense of nature. And I think these things were passed on to me both by stories, but also subliminally by attitude. For example, you mentioned Cherokee. What is Cherokee? Is it how much blood you have? Is it the way you live? Do you have to walk the Trail of Tears to be Cherokee? All of which are philosophical, perhaps esoteric questions. I think what matters the most is how we live every single day, embracing it to where we feel as though we're on a magical tour, not denying the tedium and boredom and paying bills, getting the car fixed and all that stuff we all deal with, but to feel that we're on this great journey. And that's how I feel most of the time. I'm wondering how you feel about the era of social media. I think social media does remove people from nature. Certainly there are those who saw the pretty pictures, the strong quotes about nature, but to know nature, you've got to be in it. You've got to brush against the tree. You've got to fall down against the rocks. You've got to hear the crows. You've got to get bitten by the ants. You've got to see the moon and the stars through the trees at night and hear the owls call out. This is part of the mystical quality of nature, not just the pretty pictures and the quotes and people that live in the cities. I love cities. I ran away to New York when I was 17 from Alabama. People that don't embrace on a daily basis an actual love affair with nature are suffering from something they can't fully recognize because it's something they've never had. It becomes more intellectual rather than spiritual and emotional. A lot of people have called that nature deficit syndrome, what you're describing. You wrote a book, Marching Through Georgia. Tell me what you found on that journey. <laughs> what I found in my walking from Atlanta to Savannah was a different south than I grew up in, in these mountains here of northeast Alabama. In some ways, more genteel, but uh, what I found was that closeness again to nature and even the lingering mythology of what happened during the Civil War. At the time that Sherman was, he and his men and, and all their wagons and tearing up the railroad tracks, there is still a kind of bitterness, at least when I walked it some years ago, in the stories that people feel as though there was an attempt by the North to destroy Southern heritage and tradition and beliefs. 
I found that hospitality was very much alive, just as here in Northeast Alabama. I'll give you a quick anecdote. In Milledgeville, the gentleman who cared for the internment is men camp there in Milledgeville, Georgia, there's a graveyard there, and a gentleman who in his 80s is the caretaker, and he took me all around to all the graves that kind of stood out. And as a boy, he remembered going to a Confederate rally where the gentleman who fought for the Confederacy and gathered around under a gazebo there at the cemetery, and he called out to the some of the men still on crutches or missing arms and so on, and he says, no, no, gentlemen, you are not defeated. You were just worn out from victory after victory. What a story. Thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. It's always a delight to see you. Thank you. That was Pulitzer Prize nominee Jerry Ellis, author of the 1991 book, Walking the Trail, One Man's Journey Along the Cherokee Trail of Tears. His other book we discussed was Marching Through Georgia, My Walk with Sherman. We visited Jerry in his hometown of Fort Payne, Alabama. Thanks for joining us today for In Focus, which is now a podcast on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Carolyn Hutchison, and this is listener-supported Troy Public Radio.